He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Lord Jesus, those words are a summons to your original listeners, your auditors, as they heard in the first century, and they are just as much a summons to this congregation here this morning in the 21st century. Would you come and provide the gift of illumination for us? Would you do the remarkable work of of helping us to avoid the, the fate of the first three soils and open our eyes to the wonderful things that are in this passage. May, may the seed that is sown this morning find good soil in this congregation and may we walk away changed. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's, it's kickoff Sunday. It's rally Sunday, back to church Sunday, first Sunday after Labor Day. It's got a lot of names in, in the church world, I guess. But the bottom line is that traditionally, the second week of September tends to be one of those bumps in attendance in the local church. And uh, we tend to get pretty excited about that kind of thing. You know, when it comes to sort of organizations and events, we live in a culture that uh, celebrates size, doesn't it? It, it rewards enormity. Um, finish the phrase with me. The bigger, the better. Right? One pastor I appreciate uh, reading put, put the matter this way. There is, of course, nothing wrong with a large congregation, but neither is there anything right about it. Size is not a moral quality. Size is a given. It's what's there part of the environment in which a pastor works. But it is an epidemic among today's pastors. Anxiety over survival, worry over size, obsession with arithmetic, end quote. I agree. And of course, as we've established, it's not unique to pastors. This is the air that pastors breathe. It's all the way through the church as well. It's the inclination of our fallen minds. The bigger, the better. So, Enter Jesus of Nazareth. What, is, what does Jesus think about all this? How does our Lord evaluate our celebration of size, our obsession with arithmetic? Well, one place to go to begin to answer that question, you don't have to turn there because we're already in Luke, but uh, listen to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. That is a heavy, heavy truth when it begins to settle on you. The gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. Jesus knows this, Jesus teaches this, he warns of this, and this is precisely why we have the parable that we have in front of us this morning. This is exactly why. Take verse 4 of today's text. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, 
And we'll hold it up there because usually I, like, I prefer the ESV over just about any other translation because it's so literal and because it's so beautiful. It's got this wonderful combination of literary and beauty. Um, but this is a case where I think where the NIV has, has the edge on the ESV. I've always appreciated the way the NIV renders verse 4. Here's the nuance. He told them this parable. Jesus told this particular parable. Jesus is a, he's a storyteller. He is an illustrator of the top rank. He knew hundreds and hundreds of parables. We're going to see as we go through the Gospel of Luke. It's filled with parables. There are stories and illustrations uh, that are laid beside life for us to give us a sense of how things work. And yet here in Luke chapter 8, verse 4, when a, don't miss it, great crowd had gathered and people from town after town came to him, he told them which parable? This parable. This parable is tailor-made for crowds. It's tailor-made for kickoff Sunday. So here's the thing. Kickoff Sunday of all Sundays, please lend me your ears because I will attempt to serve them well in this moment. We tend to see a crowd on Sunday morning or a jam-packed parking lot, and we think, wow, what a great church. God is blessing them. But Jesus, you see, Jesus, when he gets a look at a crowd, he preaches the word of God to them so that he can can determine who's in the crowd that belongs to him. It's a decisively different approach because the fact is, unlike most American churchgoers, Jesus is totally unimpressed with crowds, but he is eager to preach God's word to them. Unlike most American churchgoers, this is the big idea, Jesus is totally unimpressed with crowds, but he is eager to preach God's word to them. Now, why? That's the question. Why is Jesus so eager to do this? Here's why. Because the word of God is a seed constantly broadcast on four distinct soils. Greater the congregation, greater the percentages, but probably the same in every case. The word of God is a seed constantly broadcast on four distinct soils. This, in some ways, uh, this week and next week, is like one sermon. You have the sermon outline, it has point number one, and you don't see point number two or three. Point number two and three are next week. We just couldn't fit them into this morning and still get you out before noon. So we'll content ourselves with one point and one parable. But notice the next two paragraphs have everything to do with the exact topic Jesus is dealing with here. Today, the Word of God is a seed constantly broadcast on four distinct soils. If you know Jesus, that is owing to the fact, to the singular fact, that the seed of God's word has been planted into the soil of your soul and God has made it to grow. The Apostle Peter tells believers in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, that you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. We come into being as Christians through the seed of the Word of God. Another way to say it is that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Where does faith come from? Romans 10, 17 tells us where faith comes from. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word, the Word of Christ, the Gospel. Now, if God's word causes people to be born again, if God's word is able to impart faith to people, why is it that all people who hear it are not awakened to it? 
Did you ever ask that question? Jesus cares about that question. In this parable, Jesus goes some distance in answering that question. You've already heard the parable once. We'll walk back through it with a fine-tooth comb in a second. But just for a moment, let's zero in on verses 9 and 10. In verses 9 and 10, we see the answer to the question we just asked. If God's word causes people to be born again, and if God's word is able to impart faith, how come more people aren't born again? How come more people don't have saving faith in Jesus? Look with me at verses 9 and 10, starting in verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand. Now this is a big question, but verses 9 and 10 provide a satisfying answer. On the one hand, I hope it's clear, God is totally sovereign over his word. He is the sower, verse 5. It's his seed, verse 5. When people come alive to the beauty of Jesus Christ, God is the one who has given them to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, verse 10. Let's be absolutely clear when we seek to ask the question or answer the question, how, how come more people aren't born again or how come more people don't have saving faith? We are right to take that question up but let's take that question all the way up to the management and ask him. In other words, God is sovereign over the salvation of human beings. Amen? In fact, the response that the disciples give in verse 9 is predicated on what Jesus says in verse 8. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. God is sovereign. On the other hand, Perhaps you've already seen this and heard this in the text. It's not simply divine sovereignty that's on the table of consideration here, but it's also human responsibility. That's all over this parable. Verse 10, verses 9 and 10, I never caught before, even yesterday, working on this. I hadn't caught it before. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, then he said, to you it's been given. To know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Why did they get the inside track here? Because they did something with what he told them. His word went out. They were sufficiently puzzled by it. But instead of being uh, swept away by it and taken away, they pressed into it. They started working on it. They wanted to know more. And what we're going to see is that they are modeling for us the condition of the fourth soil. Those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, bear fruit with patience. So in other words, they got what they wanted. They asked him more. He told them more. How come more people aren't born again? Why don't more people have saving faith in Jesus? Or more specifically, in this case, why do so many people, after beginning with Jesus, seem to never cross the finish line at the end with Jesus? One of the answers is they don't want to. And God will give you what you want. God is sovereign in salvation, yes, but we must persevere and be saved. So verses 9 and 10 teach both divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Now let's take a look at, closer look at the four soils. That's kind of what we're here for today. And I nearly shudder to do it because you do understand that what we are going to do right now is enacting the parable of the four soils. We are a living parable right morning of this ancient parable. Every single sermon on the planet this morning is a parable of this parable. It happens every time 
Somebody steps into a pulpit to preach the word. It happens every time you flip on the car radio to listen to your favorite preacher. It happens every time you go to your phone to listen to a podcast. It happens each and every time you open your Bible. The word of God is a what? Seed. It's a precious, precious seed, and it's constantly broadcast on four distinct soils. So I'm going to cast the seed of the word of God across the congregation, including my own heart. I've got a bag of grain just kind of slung over my shoulder. That's how a farmer would have done it in the first century, and broadcasting across the soils. And I'm going to do my best to hit all the soil in front of me. I hope to find good soil this morning. You need to be asking the question, which soil am I? There's only four. Which one are you? Let's start with the pathway. The first soil that's described is in verses 5, 11, and 12. You see it? Let's look at 5, 11, and 12. Verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Verse 11, Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now, this is what this makes this moment right now of such shattering importance. Some of you are here today and you have hearts just like this soil. In a room this size, this has to be true. You can hear me. It's not that you don't hear me, but it's that you don't hear me. You know, roadsides run along every field. 21st century, same as they did in the first. And these pathways, or in these highways in our case, are, are tough from being treaded upon and cars driving on them. They are packed down hard in the first century from being walked on. And a farmer comes and he broadcasts seed across the soil, but inevitably not all of it is going to actually hit the soil. Some of it is just going to hit the roadside. And you know as well as I do that there's no place for a seed on such surface. A crop of wheat doesn't spring out of a roadside. Neither did seed spring out of a footpath in the first century. Verse 12 is incredibly revealing, isn't it? The ones along the path are those who have heard, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. That's frightening, isn't it? He stands right at the door of Fellowship Hall, sometimes right at the door of the sanctuary. I'm not sure how much work he gets done right in here, but I think he's doing work too. I believe that song that we sing, the enemy, he has to flee, right? At the sound of your great name. He's not doing a lot of work right now. He's doing a truckload of work as the sermon is over and as you're leaving here. Hmm. We've covered both divine sovereignty and human responsibility, but there is someone else that we haven't mentioned yet, and that's why I'm so glad Jesus has, the the craft and the power of the evil one. There is a, a, a third category here of person. And we mention him, and Jesus mentions him, not because Satan is Jesus' equal in any sense, but because Jesus does battle with him and speaks openly and freely of him all the way through Luke's gospel. On the topic of Satan and demons, we, we, we frequently ourselves tend to fall off the horse from, from one side to the other on this, and that's why we are wise to consider the, the sage advice of C.S. Lewis on this topic. 
On the first page of his screw tape letters, uh, Lewis shrewdly observes this. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both errors. Hmm. It's true. So don't be, don't be kept away by the, by the somewhat normal and routine way the Bible seems to speak about the existence and activity of the demonic in our lives and in this world. Don't be kept away from truths like this because they will help to make serious sense of your experience as you go through life. Don't be kept away from this truth, but at the same time, don't, don't, don't be swept away by this truth. Don't be swept away by what the Bible does not say about Satan. Some folks get the, the idea that like, Satan is God's equal and opposite perfect counterpart, his, his alter ego or his evil twin. Satan is not Scripture gives the devil his due, but no more. You know how many times Satan is mentioned in the book of Romans? Once. And he's described as a defeated foe. God mentions the existence of Satan one time in Romans, and he says, and Paul says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So give the devil his due, but please don't give him more. Yes, he can snatch away the word from a human heart, but he's not God. You can resist him. James 4, 1 Peter 5, Ephesians 6, all call us and equip us to resist the evil one. Furthermore, because God is sovereign in salvation, Satan can do more, no more, than God permits him or allows him to do in our lives. This is incredibly encouraging when you know the character of God. Remember the story of Job. Who started the conversation between God and Satan? God did. Satan is powerful, but he's a dog on a chain. And God is the one holding the end of the leash. May we never forget it. I just let some seed fly. I wonder how much of it fell on the pathway this morning. We'll take the next two soils together. They're they're similar to one another in some ways. Rocky soil, thorny soil. Let's, Let's start with the rocky soil. The second soil is found in verses 16 and thir- 6 and 13. Verses 6 and 13, starting in verse 6. And some seed fell on the rock, and it, as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with what? Joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while. And in a time of testing, fall away. Now look with me at the thorny soil as well. The thorny soil is described in verses 7 and 14. Verses 7 and 14. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Verse 14. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Okay. Let's take a breath, and we're going to try to take a swing at a question that I hope is on the minds of at least some of us here this morning, and that's the question of eternal security. Verse 13. Does verse 13 teach that a genuinely born-again Christian can fall away to their eternal destruction? Or we might ask the same question of the person in verse 14, the thorny soil. 
Well, let's, let's look at the arrangement of this parable, just to get the lay of the land, literally. The first soil clearly describes an unsaved, unconverted person. That's beyond a shadow of a doubt. No question about that. And then if we were to skip ahead to the fourth soil, the good soil, it also seems clear that this last soil describes a saved or a converted person, a true Christian. What is a much more gray area is what's going on in those two inner soils. Are they the real deal or not? Are they Christians? Are they non-Christians? I'll just cut to the chase and disappoint everyone by saying that Jesus doesn't actually tell us. I'm going to be faithful to Scripture here. He doesn't actually give us the answer to that particular question here. As it relates to the, to the future of the middle two, two soils, Jesus doesn't mention eternal punishment, and he believed in it with all his heart and taught on it more than anyone else in the New Testament. He doesn't mention eternal punishment for soils two and three. He taught and warned of the existence of hell, but not here. He does say fall away in verse 13, and their fruit does not mature in verse 14, but that's not necessarily the same thing as eternal punishment, you might agree. So verse, the soil one, not a believer. Soil four, clearly a believer. Soils two and three, it's intentionally broad and indeterminate. The jury is out, in other words. They may be, they may not be. And that's just Jesus' point. New Testament scholar Daryl Bach puts it this way, and I think this is so helpful. This is why we turn to the big guns like this guy. Listen to what Daryl Bach says. To make a blanket statement about the final spiritual condition of rocky or thorny soil is to misdirect the parable's emphasis. Jesus is not communicating the minimum response required to receive blessing. To ask the salvation question of soils two and three results in short-circuiting the parable's force and taking the edge out of the teaching. I agree. Completely. You say, how? Well, this parable's not meant to tie up everything in a bow for us. It's actually meant to alarm us and set us on edge. And you know why I know? Because churches are filled with soils two and three. What Jesus is describing here in the rocky soil, by and large, is a person overwhelmed with suffering. Don't think perpetrator here. Think victim. Okay? What Jesus is describing in the thorny soil, by and large, is, is somebody overwhelmed by sinning, on the other hand. Don't think victim. Think perpetrator for thorny soil. In both cases, suffering and sinning is so intense it has a way of creating an environment of spiritual drift on the one hand and spiritual immaturity on the other. How many of you know people who, who name the name of Jesus Christ but because of overwhelming adversity that they never asked for, that they've encountered in their lives, they're just adrift today? You're just not sure where they're at with relationship to Jesus like you were sure a little while ago. They're just adrift. They're, they're unanchored from Jesus. It could be they received a medical diagnosis of some kind that was unfavorable. Maybe they have suffered at the hands of an abusive family member that they've faced. 
Perhaps this person has received a series of crushing financial blows that, that is not related to the decisions they've made in their life. It's just what they've sort of inherited. You know anyone like this? Absolutely. Jesus says the person self-identifies as a believer, and yet in a time of testing, they fall away. The rocky soil is about suffering. Or consider the other sort of person you may know who at least identifies as a Christian. They might even be a, appear to be a believer with, with a high regard for the Bible, something of a commitment to Christ and his people, and yet as you've watched them over the course of their lives, they haven't grown. They're getting older, but they're not maturing. Do you know what I mean? They're not leading when they ought to be. They're not making disciples when they could be. They seem to have very little interest or availability for evangelism over the course of their lives. And why? Verse 14 tells us why. They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked. They are throttled by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. I think, generally speaking, the thorny soil is about sinning. It's about professing Christ followers who stay locked in a state of spiritual childhood because of a refusal in their lives to mortify and to kill their own indwelling sin in their hearts. They may look ship-shaped from the outside. They may. But on the inside, it's a mess. Or when no one's looking, they are in the grip of some secret sin that nobody knows about. And we all find out and are somehow surprised. Maybe it's alcohol or drug abuse. Could be that they're enslaved to pornography or some kind of fornication. It might just be general worldliness that settles in on your life. Either way, they are living in thorns. It's thorny soil. The thorny soil is mainly about sinning. Now, I don't know about you, but as we look at the structure of this parable, I don't think it's too much to say, as I mentioned before, that perhaps the thorny and rocky soil accounts for maybe half of the people that fill our churches. Half of American evangelicalism is like this. I think that might be a modest summary. It was half of the hearts in Jesus' parable. Friends, this is why we care about counseling. Thorny soil and rocky soil is why we care about counseling because footpath soil won't even come to counseling. Good soil is giving the counseling. (laughs) Soils two and three are the ones who need the counseling. It's these two inner soils. It's these two sorts of professing believers that we want to press into and go deep and hang in long with in the context of gospel-saturated and biblical and spiritually powerful soul care. The time has never been more ripe for what our church intends to launch two years from today, the Harbor Center for Biblical Counseling. The West Tonka area is dying for it. The, the affluence and prosperity and financial situation of most people in the West Tonka area, it does not insulate them from the problems I'm talking about. In many ways, it just masks it and exacerbates it. Our community is dying for this. Our churches, all of them across the West Tonka area and the broader West Metro need this. I mentioned our, our vision for a counseling center inside of two years ago here. Um, I mentioned that at a, the West Tonka Pastors Ministerial that met in our fellowship hall just a few days ago, and you could have heard a pin drop among the pastors. You know why? 
most pastors aren't doing any counseling at all. They are eager for us to move forward with this. And most Christians, of course, don't sense that they would know at all how to approach somebody who's in soils two and three. But I'll tell you what, that's changing with this church. It's changing here. Not only are we going to offer our church as a counseling center, as a resource to the broader West Tonka area free of charge, but one day we're also going to take the next step and become a training center for ministry leaders and pastors and other churches to do this in their church. I realize that's not part of our 2020 vision, but I see no reason why training center can't be on the horizon for 2025. Now, why do I have such confidence? You want to know why? Because we have an increasing number of men and women of boys and girls in this church who look a lot like soil four. Let's take a look at this. The good soil. Verses 8 and 15. We've had nothing but bad news today. Would you permit some good news at the tail end of the sermon? And some seed fell into good soil and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 15, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The Mount Evangelical Free Church, I am so grateful that our church appears to be growing and growing slowly. Did you know I'm encouraged by the slow and steady. Because I'll tell you what, apart from revival, which is an unusual, miraculous move of God, our growth never has been, I hope never will be, quick. And I'm fine with that. And there are plenty of reasons to say that, but let me just simply quote Dr. Albert Moeller to outline one of the reasons. Fifteen years ago, I read this quote. I was standing in a, in a Barnes & Noble in suburban Chicago, and it just has been with me ever since. This is what Dr. Moeller says. Quote, you hear people talk about how to grow a church, how to build a church, how to build a great congregation. Few and far between are those who say it comes essentially by the preaching of the word. And we know why. Because it comes by the preaching of the word slowly. Slowly, immeasurably, even invisibly. If you want to see quick results, I love this, the preaching of the word might not be the way to go. If you're going to find results in terms of statistics and numbers and visible response, it might just be there are other mechanisms, other programs, other means that will produce faster. And he says this, the question is whether it will produce Christians. So a thousand amens to that. I heartily agree. Remember, where do Christians come from? They come from God's Word. They come from the Scriptures. They come from the Holy Spirit taking the seed that, that begets faith, a seed that continues to grow over the arc of a Christian's life. And like those trees in your front yard, like the diameter on the willow tree that's at the corner of Edgewater and Chateau in our front yard, it has grown slowly, but it's getting more substantial You can't speed grow a true church any more than you can speed grow a Christian. This stuff takes time. To change the metaphor, Christian growth, my, pa my last pastor at our last church 15 years ago taught me, it's a lot like what a tugboat does with a barge. How does a tugboat move a barge? Bump, 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 bump. 
bump across the harbor. And eventually that whole barge has moved across the harbor. That's how the preaching of the word works. That's how teaching and counseling work. Grace and truth and time. And we change and we grow and we become more like Jesus. So you see why the good soil is so rare, don't you? Verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, here comes all the work, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with what? Patience. Patience. That last word especially, patience. That's worth a whole nother sermon. Um, It's a word that in the original means literally something like remaining behind a thing. Um, Staying after something, enduring and persevering. So many people in the church expect Christian growth to be something that happens to you. It doesn't happen to you. It's work. You set your alarm. You get your Bible open and you go to work. You fill your mind with God's word. You meditate on it day and night. You pray without ceasing throughout your day. You turn violently from sin in your heart. You stand strong in the hour of temptation, riveting your eyes on Jesus. You also keep your eyes on Christian brothers and sisters to strengthen their hand in their time of trial or trouble or suffering or temptation. And you are always on the prowl for people that are far from Jesus, that aren't connected to the riches that you're connected to, and you are eager to share the good news with them. The Christian life might be something that people drift out of, but I assure you it is most certainly not something that you will drift into. Following Jesus is living, active, busy, full-time occupation. And I'll tell you what, If there's anyone with us today who walked in here this morning not a Christian, it is my sincere desire that you walk out of here a Christian. Did you know that you can start following Jesus today? God can take his word and regenerate your heart in this very moment. Maybe he has over the last hour here. If you understand that you are, because of your selfishness, you are what the Bible calls a a sinner, you're separated from God, and your rebellion toward him, and that you deserve judgment and eternal punishment for this rebellion, and if you understand that Jesus, the God-man, came to this world to live a perfect life on behalf of people like you, and he, on the last day of his life, laid it down as a sacrifice as an offering for guilt and sin, and he absorbed the penalty that each of us are due because of our sin. If you confess your sins and are willing to turn from your sin and place your faith definitively in Jesus as your Savior and treasure and Lord, you can start that new life today. Today can be the day of salvation. If this is you, please come and talk to me afterward in back or perhaps down here in front with one of our elders. We'd love to help you take your first steps with Jesus. Well, let's review. Unlike most American churchgoers, Jesus is just totally unimpressed with crowds. But he is eager to preach God's word to them because, because the word of God is a seed constantly broadcast on four distinct soils. So God is sovereign in every way a king can be, particularly over his word. He rules and he reigns his word according to his perfect will. Jeremiah 112b, God gives us this promise. He says, I am watching over my word to perform it. Isn't that good news? 
I am watching over my word to perform it. So let's rejoice in this. Let's, let's bow ourselves low in humble adoration before God and his mighty power and purposes in his word. Because God is eager to make his word work in our lives, it means that we can crash through quitting points, especially soils two and three that tend to trip us up in the Christian life. It means that we can have hope for our church as we look to the word to propel us forward in our mission to be and make disciples and to take ground in our 2020 vision. And it means that we can have hope for evangelism, for the future of everybody that's on your list of five that you're praying for that's far from Jesus. None of those lives of the people on your list of five are out of his reach. You believe that? It's true. But don't forget the power in the seed of God's word. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 reminds us that he who ever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. It stands to reason. So in terms of evangelism, get on your knees for your list of five. Move your feet toward your list of five and open your mouth to your list of five. Let's be eager to celebrate and demonstrate and communicate the gospel to our lost family and friends and neighbors around us. Don't be ashamed of the gospel this week. Be eager about it. It is the power of God for salvation. And on the other hand, we are responsible, friends. We are answerable. We are obligated. We make real choices that have real consequences in the context of our lives with reference to our word. We are neither exempt from suffering nor immune to sinning. And both realities make a major league impact on how we navigate through this world with his word. It's the fourth soil that teaches us everything we need to know. Let's not encourage each other in this church to let go and let God. Let's perish that language from our vocabulary. Let's trust God and get going. That's verse 15. Next week, we'll continue this sermon and we'll look at verses 16 to 21. For today, it's enough for us to know that the word of God is a seed. One week from today, we'll discover that Jesus also says that God's word is a floodlight and God's word is a blood test. You're not going to want to miss it, but right now, let's pray.